Daniel, I heard that you have stories about water and swimming with your Mongolian family. Uh, yeah, not with the family so much, actually. Okay. I I actually just started last night writing this in my blog. Oh, nice. I've started pursuing a more fit and healthy lifestyle, and <laughs> <laughs> I've been going swimming a couple times per week at this pool that's just like mm, 10, 15 minutes walk or one bus stop away. Full length pool, but the width is only two lanes. Okay. So it's like just for uh, like laps or exercising. Long and narrow. Yeah, pool. it's long and narrow, but it's enough. I mean, the lanes are wide enough that, you know, people can pass each other. Mm -hmm. um, all of my sibling-in-laws got these punch cards where you buy like 12 visits. And every time you go, they, you know, punch one out. And they're all going to go there to learn how to swim. But... There's not really a shallow end in that pool. And none of my sibling-in-laws know how to swim at all, basically. That's not great for learning. The staff were like, for the first two days, you just need to get used to being in the water. So they just like didn't teach them anything. <laughs> you know, get your faces in. Get You need to get comfortable being in the water. Interesting. So the long story short is they decided that we need to find a pool that has an actual shallow end where they can stand, you know, so they can learn without having to be scared and stuff. Makes sense. So they have all these passes, these pass cards. And my brother-in-law, Jaken, brought up the idea we could use those and go and, you know, get exercise and he could kind of be learning. Because at some point or another, he started learning a little bit, but he definitely couldn't survive if he fell out of a boat or something. Yeah. People may remember Jaken from one of the missions episodes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Friend of the podcast, Jaken. That's right. So we just went, we went together and um, first off, you have to take a shower, very normal. But when we got to the pool, the staff guy kind of comes over to us and, you know, asks if we showered, which were wet. I'm sure he knew. But then he took like a little sponge and wiped our backs to like check. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> if we were clean enough. <laughs> That's serious. But luckily I made the cut. So we got in and um, I started trying to teach Jaken uh, how to do breaststroke and kind of demonstrating, you know, here's how you do the kick. Here's how you mm -hmm. do that. And the staff guy who had wiped us down, I mean, you know, just wiped our back. Uh -huh. At first he was just kind of watching us. And, you know, I just thought, you know, maybe he's still suspicious of us or something, you know, who we are. But then he like pulls out his phone and he starts like filming me. <laughs> as I'm demonstrating like how to do this kick. And I was like, isn't he supposed to be one of the people who teaches this? And then at one point when I was, I was doing the breaststroke and uh, he asked Jaken to ask me if I'm breathing in more through my nose or my mouth <laughs> when I'm coming up. <laughs> like, wow, I'm like an expert right here. But you know, like Mongolia is a landlocked country. They, they have some lakes and, and definitely rivers, but pretty common, I think, for Mongolians to not know how to swim. Mm. Or if they do, like, just sort of, like, doggy paddle. They don't really have pools. Oh, that, I mean, you know, you can't have an outdoor pool or just... Oh, yeah, it'd be ice that. all the time, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's this long right. uh, below freezing yes. time, like, you know, almost half the year. Right about that. But even now, ever since when I've gone, I'd say probably... Close to half, but I'd say it's probably slightly a minority of other swimmers who get in the water without some kind of like flotation thing. You know, like they're either holding a pool noodle to help them. And so it seems like um, there's a lot of people who are trying to learn. Mm -hmm. And given what I heard about their teaching style. Yeah, it probably takes a long time to learn. Yeah. Well, I mean, if kids are terrified, then the first step is kind of getting comfortable in the water. However long that takes. 
it's been great for me though to get to start getting the exercise um and it helps me you know like helps me sleep at night helps me you know <laughs> like actually <laughs> fall asleep when i get home yeah it's been a long time since i've done swimming for exercise and uh-huh i guess i forgot that i, I that i really like that quite well yeah yeah cool that's mm, a great story fun stuff. Let's, well let's play the jingle we have a jingle you know the jingle i thought i was supposed to write the anthem is that the same thing <laughs> oh yeah how's that going along uh a sharp minor okay that's a good start so you may uh, hear some baby noises in the background in this episode because not only is joel at his house where there are our babies babies now i'm also here yeah Paul's visiting down uh, in Alabama to film a sermon for our church. Yep. So we're going to be filming tomorrow morning. But in the meantime, we're doing this. So I thought tonight we would jump back into inductive Bible study. For the review, we covered the book survey, which is like the first step. And I was thinking um, often when you're actually going to do like a Bible study, like it starts with some question in the text somewhere. So you're like reading the Bible or here you hear something about the Bible and there's a question. So like maybe we're doing Matthew. So let's just say you're reading in the book of Matthew and you're like, I've always wondered what this meant, mm-hmm. like this verse or this story. I've always wondered what that meant. And so that question can actually be your starting point sometimes. And you're going to say, all right, well, I'm going to go back and do a book survey. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to go into the segment survey and do the like Bible study in order to try to figure out like what this section means and how it fits in the book. So that's one way um, that that these studies can be helpful is starting with a, a question. Yeah. Um, the other way is obviously if you just like want to learn more about a book and you want to do a study on it. So maybe you're just like, I really would like to focus on the book of John in this mm-hmm. you know month or a couple months of my life. And so I'm going to really like do a lot of focus there. So that's kind of how I think this can be useful. Yeah. That's good because I think that's what we should do today is start at the end and work our way back in a way. Like you were saying, start with a question. Um, So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5. So as Dr. Bauer would say, you should have Bibles out and open. So the question we're looking at today actually comes at the very end of chapter 5. Matthew 5 verse 48 says you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect and i certainly have wondered and thought about that verse before i don't know about you guys well because it's so common for people to say like nobody's perfect you're never gonna be perfect yeah i think that's really built into our culture and even within our church culture there's a lot of yeah that you know like I'm just a sinner, dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace, and I'm sinning every day of my life, and I'm never going to (laughs) stop sinning every day of my life, no matter what you say. Well, and even, Uh, like, even I hear people in church saying, like, God doesn't expect us to be perfect, or God doesn't expect you to be perfect. It's like, well, here's a verse where he says exactly that. He tells us to be perfect. So, like, what what does that mean? Yeah. So, you're trying to answer the questions in interpretation. Okay, so the book survey, which we've already covered, is part of your observation process where you're gathering data, and that's what a segment survey is as well. And and then you get into the interpretation where you're actually trying to answer the question. So let's so not the, get too far ahead. Right, we're not quite yeah. answering the question. We see the question, we're like, 
that I'm curious what that means. Let me do some more observation and then I'll get into the question. Mm-hmm. And since we've already done our book as a whole survey, then we can look at a segment survey. So first step then becomes, well, what's kind of the segment here? What's the larger section close to the length of a chapter that this fits into? Yeah, you want to try to figure out like what's the context of this. So like you have a verse and then like right after it, it's a big shift into another story. Then your context may, is probably going to be more important to look at what's before it than after it or whatever. You just want to like try to figure out what around this verse or this question is like really most tied to it. Yeah. We got some Malachi in the background. Hopefully that's okay. What verse is it where he says that? It's the last verse of chapter 5. 48. Oh, okay. Basically, you want to go backwards and forward on either side of the verse you're looking at until there's a major break in the theme, the content, that kind of thing. So if you look at the beginning of chapter 5, you have the Beatitudes, and then there's a pretty noticeable shift of content between verse 16 and verse 17. Right at 17, Jesus starts talking about the law. And that conversation on the law continues all the way through the end of the chapter. The chapters are helpful, but they're not necessarily defining the content. You have to be careful, like trusting the chapters too much because they're not always in the best places for what the actual content is. Context. Yeah. It drives me crazy when they decide to put a chapter break in the middle of somebody's sentence or comment. Yeah. <laughs> That is so Who weird. came up with these ideas? So random. But it's weird, too, that like now that somewhere along the line, this became the way that people know where things are. So you can't, mm. I guess you can't just make a new translation that has the verses and chapters in different places. Oh, yeah, that would be a mess. Mm-hmm. I mean, it should be like that, but it's, it's like it's too late now. Yeah. You know, once it got it got messed up once. and But the way that people have the little subtitles changes based on your translation and version yes you mean like the footnotes uh no like the little subheaders oh those okay okay all right so like yeah yeah, mine says like the beatitudes the lord's prayer that kind of stuff yeah some of them have way more some of them have way less yeah and like even just the paragraph breaks and stuff like that that's going to be different for the translations Mm -hmm. but yeah don't get too bound to just say like let me look at the chapter um, and like see the chapter that this is in as its context. That's not always the case. So like this, where we are, where when you're reading through Matthew, you'll notice that this is in the middle of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. So then you can look at the Sermon on the Mount and kind of say, okay, is there a smaller than that whole sermon? Mm-hmm. Is there a smaller section that this comes into play? And so Paul's saying it looks like if you look at five verse seventeen through five verse forty-eight, and that's kind of his focus on the law. Um, where he's talking about, this is what the law said, and I tell you this, you've heard it said, I say this, and that kind of stuff um, throughout that whole segment. So again, it's really important to get a grasp of the content of the Bible that you're looking at. So yeah, you get the section, and then after you kind of figure out your segment that you're going to be looking at, then you try to outline it, right? Right. Do the outline just like we did with the whole book. Now we're going to outline this section. Why don't we read it, though, before we go on? Starting from where? Starting from 17 to 48. If it's too slow or listeners want to just read it on their own, they can skip through, you know, a few minutes or yeah, sure. whatever they want to do. Do we need the same translation? Oh, I don't think it matters. Oh, yeah. Mine's an NIV right now. I have RSV. I've got an LT. Oh. Okay, so we have three different translations, so we'll see how this goes. Yeah, I've been wanting to 
get into something besides NIV because I've been, everything's NIV here because that's what the kids use in school and we do Bible at the beginning of mm-hmm. class. So, I've, you know, I have to use NIV to match up with them, but I want to get into some other translations sometime. And I tried reading NRSV for my just like devotion the other day, but I felt like it was a little, it felt like clunky, I guess. Mm-hmm. I really like RSV for the New Testament, but it's a little bit hard to follow in like Psalms, Proverbs, Prophets, some of the more like poetic and apocalyptic literature. To me, it's hard in that older English. I just think it's good to use different translations. Yeah, just mix it up. All right, so let's just switch every verse here. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the men of old, you shall not kill, and whoever kills shall be liable to judgment. But I say if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. I remember uh, that was the Hack- Clay Hackney's favorite verse. <laughs> Calling someone a fool. He who calls one another a fool is in danger of the fiery gates of hell. <laughs> okay. Um, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift. <laughs> Sorry, that's so funny. <laughs> right in the middle of the sentence there. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. When you're on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. You've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the men of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond that is from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist one who is evil. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who begs from you, and do not refuse him who would borrow from you. You've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. 
For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that we've gone through it, let's outline it. Daniel. (laughs) Wait, I I was just thinking, should we have stopped just because it's the end of the chapter? I thought we were saying, don't get so focused on that. Why don't we keep saying, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, blah, blah, blah. That's a good question. The first thing you want to do is try to figure out where you should start and stop. Oh. So like when you you hit this verse that says, be perfect, that your heavenly father is perfect, you want to figure out, okay, okay, I think he's um, like switching gears a little bit here. Like he's switching into a new topic. So this topic about the law that we've just covered, it seems like it ends here at the end of chapter five. So segment surveys, I do all the time for um, sermons. Hmm. If I'm going to do write a sermon on somewhere in Matthew chapter five, I'm going to do exactly what we're doing right now. I'm going to figure out like, where's this section that, I, that this is all a part of. And then I'm going to try to outline that section. And so normally you are going to read through it more than just one time. Um, you're, you'll read through it initially to get the gist like we just did. Then you'll read through it more thinking specifically, is there any major breaks that I can outline? So, so when you say major breaks, you yes. just mean where the topic changes? Um, Just like if you're going to outline this section now, how do I understand the flow, the logic, and like the discussion here? If we look at um, verse 21, that's the first place you get, like you have heard it said, or you've heard that our ancestors or whatever your translation say. Mine says, you've heard that our ancestors were told, and then it gives something. Okay. And then I get that again in verse 27, you have heard the commandment that says, I get it again in 31, you've heard the law that says... 33, you've also heard that our ancestors were told this. And then in 38, you've heard that said, in 43, you've heard that the law says. Hmm. Remember in episode three, we talked about repetition and how that's something that as you study the Bible, you can start looking for things that repeat. And so this is a great example of that. You have that phrase that's repeated six times right here. So the fact that that phrase repeats six times in here lets you know that you shouldn't break it within that part because they're all related? Yeah, I would say it unifies that part to start with. So that means like the main break might be before that. So like verses 17 through 20 and then 21 through the end is... Um, like so the break would be between 20 and 21, you're saying? Like recontextualizing what the... yeah. The, common so understanding of the law was mm-hmm. so it unifies those by that phrase but then also if you're going to break up that section those would be the divisions for that section probably does that make sense so like your major break would be between verses 20 and 21 so you've got that first section and then this bigger section at the end and then within the bigger section that starts in verse 21 it would be broken up based on that phrase so that phrase happens and he talks about anger and murder then that phrase happened again and he talks about lust and adultery etc and so you get like a order kind of of his comments here of his teaching so the way our outline would look then is that we'd have two major units in this section chapter 5 17 through 20 is he's kind of establishing overview of the principles of the law 
And then at 21 through 48 is examples. And so then we can go in and break that down further into subunits. So 17 to 18, Jesus is talking about fulfilling the law. And then 19 through 20, he's talking about exceeding righteousness being required. Does that make sense at all, Daniel? Or is that too, like, uh, in the weeds? It makes sense um, until until that last part you said about um, 17, 18, and 19, 20. I was kind of thinking, it sounds like all this is just saying that your Bible headings are pretty good, you know? Mm. Yeah, mine is in this in this case, I would say. So, yeah. Yeah, the Bible headings can help you try to make sense of what's going on in your chapters. And I would say for like casual, more casual study, then it's good to look at those. But you do have to be careful because sometimes just like the chapters are in like wacko places sometimes. You get that way with these headings sometimes mm-hmm. um, where it's just like, I don't think that's a good place to put a break. Like it seems like those things should be joined together. But it's hard if you do have those headings. I guess that's why Paul's Bible doesn't, you know, the what um, RSV doesn't have them. Well, it depends on even the version of the translation. Yeah. Because some RSVs have but it. But if you do have it, I think it's going to be pretty hard for you to mentally remove them and like start splicing parts together or breaking parts up. When, mm-hmm. Especially in this chapter, in, in my version, the sections are pretty small little squares. Yep. So if it's a bigger chunk, it may be easier to insert another break in there. But I think when they're already chopped up so little, it can be hard to do that. So I guess there is value to having Bibles without those headings. So let me ask this. Does your Bible have six example headings between verses 21 and 48? Example headings. Mine does. Uh, 21. Okay. Murder, adultery, Mine is called murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, eye for an eye, and love your enemies. Yeah, that's six. Six. Okay. That's, that's how mine is, too. So I would say this is a case where they did a good job. Because mm-hmm. that's pretty much exactly how I would break the subunits of that. So let me insert here and say anybody who's listening, if you can have a Bible with you, it actually will be a lot easier when you're, we're looking in like the detailed uh, like verses like this, obviously, because when you're just hearing a lot of verse numbers... It can be very hard to follow. If you can actually see a Bible, which I know some a lot of people listen to podcasts when they're doing other things. So like, you know, whatever works. Uh, but if you're getting really lost with what we're talking about, it's probably going to be easier to have a Bible. And like and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good plug, Daniel. <laughs> All right, so we got our outline. So just like in the book survey, we're moving on to the structural relationships. So let me just clarify for people again. Like we did the whole book survey of Matthew. Then we're picking a smaller section that we want to study. And almost you do the exact same thing as you do for a book survey. You just do it on a smaller scale. Yep. So either of you want to take a stab at any structural relationships within this segment? Well, we already mentioned a repetition or recurrence. Yeah, you, you have heard, but I say, isn't that? Yep. So that's contrast and like a recurrence of contrast, right? That's a yes. No, that's a structural relationship. That's right. So yeah, Jesus going through, he's um, multiple times comparing the law or the tradition to his like higher standard of the law. Mm-hmm. So that's huge, a huge point here. 
And a reminder here that the word but, it's an indicator for contrast. So because we have that phrase so many times you have heard it said, but I say, it should clue you in that there's contrast going on here. And then it's good also when you're trying to find relationships to try to see what they are between your major sections. Okay, so we have this first major section. Yeah at the beginning and it's where he's like kind of talking about the law and that it's not going away and you shouldn't ignore it. Um, and that your righteousness should surpass the law, the righteousness of the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. That's how he starts. And then he goes into these different examples. So how, like asking, how does that first section relate to that whole second section with the six examples? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, because he's saying I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then he spends the rest of the time talking about how his standard is actually, yeah, his standard is actually higher. Yes. And as I was starting to say that, I think, yeah, it's interesting. Another way to say it, besides just the standard is higher, is that he's sort of saying it's not about the letter of the law. It's about the spirit of the law. You know, if you're just focused on following the rules, then here's what you'll do. But I'm saying it's not just about like, here's how to follow the rule. It's about how to take the purpose of those rules of living righteously and loving people. And if you really are concerned with those things, then this is the way you'll live. And this is the type of actions you'll take in those circumstances. But it's not just the idea of the letter of the law because he's taking the law and then taking it further. So the law, do not murder, he's not saying like, what's the idea behind the law of do right. not murder? Well, it's do not murder. He's extending it. That's not letter of the law, the spirit of the law. I would say both are don't murder, but then he's pushing them further. Yeah, he's saying don't be satisfied just with following the rules. I think what Paul's getting at is um, like when people say it's about the like the heart of the law or the spirit of the law, like if the speed limit is, you know, 35, but like the heart of the law is to like drive safe. Right, right, right. Right. Okay, so usually when people say that spirit of the law thing, their point is to be less strict. Right. In this case, okay, so that's that's what you're talking about here. In this case, it's it's don't be satisfied just with, you know, like I followed the I followed the, the rule, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So in this case, okay. Yeah, I, I guess that's true. Usually we use it to mean that you don't have to be as strict. <laughs> right. Here it's kind of the opposite. Yeah. But I think we're pretty familiar too with examples of the other way where it's like, um, you know, those technicalities where it's like, well, I didn't lie. I just didn't say the whole truth, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think we know of, of these negative examples of your finding loopholes or you're technically following the law, but you're not actually living up to what the desired behavior is. That's true. So what you're saying earlier, though, about how this first section, he talks about fulfilling the law. And then the second larger section, he's giving these six examples. Mm -hmm. um, so the the way you could potentially describe that relationship then the way we say it in class is particularization with substantiation yeah which is just like m meaningless but <laughs> but really just wait, the, wait, wait, let me guess let me guess let me guess particularization okay. with substantiation so more specific yeah um but also more 
applicable to life. That's close. The substantiation part would be it gives evidence and substance to what he said. It like proves the point kind of. Ah. Yeah, it gives substance. So what he says in that first section, he says like, I haven't come to abolish the law. You have to, you have to live by the law. And he says, in fact, like your righteousness has to be better than the righteousness of the Pharisees. So these are, this is a general idea, right? Jesus gives this idea. And then the, in these six examples, he kind of breaks it down for us. Okay. So it's like, here's this big idea and then breaking it down. So that's how you could say that this relationship is like big idea to breaking it down. Okay. Um, so pretty common, yeah. I think, like sermon structure that we still hear today. Yes. Mm-hmm. Here are examples. And so, yeah, you can, you can call I'm... that like general to particular is kind of how, doc, like we talk about that in class, general to particular. How would you, what would be a good way to talk about substantiation in a more common term? To me, substantiation sounds like making real, right? Yeah. Yeah. Substantial, physical. We do use it in common speech when we say he substantiated his claim. Yes. But I, the, other, the only other thing I'm thinking is like, let me prove it to you or yeah. something like that. Or here's an example. Yep. It, substantiation is where you start with a result, mm-hmm. right? And then you say how you got there. It's like proving, yeah, adding substance and proof to your point. Well, what's the, uh, what are the key words that you look for? Um, for and therefore? Those are causation, right? Let me pull up our cheat sheet that I put in the show notes of episode three. Can you get this on YouTube or no? Yes. Okay. Okay, so our keywords for substantiation are for, because, and since. Okay, so an example of a substantiation in like everyday language is, I went to the store because we were out of milk. I think maybe a better one is what I hear, have heard a lot since I've been here in Dothan. And that's like when you're talking to Malachi, You say, don't stand on the furniture because if you run around on the furniture and keep standing on it, then it's going to break. So there you're substantiating your command command for him to not be on the furniture. Hmm. So to me, it sounds that I would have considered that more of a justification. Let's see. I still feel like our examples aren't quite what you see in the like Jesus doing. (laughs) Because he like says a truth. Well, he says, okay, so he says... Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he explains kind of how you get there. Backing up your claim? Yeah. It makes so much sense in my head, but I'm having a lot of trouble articulating it. I don't see the substantiation too much here is my problem. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, what is being substantiated exactly? Um... I definitely see the particularization, okay, where he's moving from a general statement and then explaining that general is general statement. But I don't really see a movement from where's the what's the effect? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's not super clear to me how this substantiation is actually functioning. This passage, and this is, that's why I'm having a difficult time, mm, like explaining mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like he is explaining. He's substantiating his claim that I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Okay, there we go. Okay, that makes sense then. Okay. He, he There's definitely a substantiation of that claim. Okay. So Jesus is saying, he's showing how he's not coming to abolish the law, mm-hmm. but to fulfill the law. Jesus makes that statement and he's saying, how is that true? Well, let me show you. Here's what the law says. And here's what I say. Mm-hmm. I'm going like beyond the law. And so I'm not abolishing the law. I'm fulfilling the law by extending it. 
Yeah. Okay. So there's where the substantiation is. Yeah. So again, then what's an everyday life example? Surely um, we can think of one of these. Yeah. If somebody says like, you don't care about me, they're mad at you. Okay. So they say, you don't care about me. Uh-huh. And you say, yes, I do care about you. And you say, I have done this. I have done this. There I we have go. done this. Okay. I have, have done, done this. this. That's right. That shows that I care about you. Okay. So he starts with his like claim, claim. like I do care about you. And then here's all the, here's all the ways that I have. That's good. Reinforcing. How about that? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. You'll start seeing that everywhere once you're, yeah. now that you're aware of it. It happens all the time. Any more of these relationships? And we're spending time here. Structural relationships, again, which we mentioned before, kind of have a language of their own that can feel a little bit like you're caught in the weeds. But really what you're trying to do is you're just trying to understand the way that the this section is put together. Like, how can I understand what's going on? How can I talk about what's happening in this mm-hmm. section? Yeah, so practically that whole last section of us talking about was really just saying that oh in this first section 17 through 20 jesus is introducing this idea and then in the following section he's giving a bunch of examples for it that prove his point that prove his point yeah that's basically Uh what it is and then like joel said there's language that goes along with inductive bible study okay one more is climax at least in the second unit there of his examples, they seem to be building and leading toward that ending verse about perfection. Yeah, it seems like a very like final like punch. And I'll throw that out there again, which I said in episode three is I think it's always good to ask yourself if there's a climax in the book or even in the section you're looking at, because that'll help you see the trajectory of the of the passage. Okay. Good. Well, the reason I think, and like going back a little bit to my thing about like letter to the lost, spirit of the lost stuff, is because, um, uh, like in First Corinthians, when he talks about I have the freedom to do this, and you know I can do all this stuff, but not everything is beneficial, not everything is like worthwhile, mm-hmm. and um, we often have this natural inclination to, in a way, how much can I get away with and still be not in trouble? But what it seems like. Jesus here is saying, and what I think Paul's saying too in First Corinthians is we should be wanting to live rightly. Yeah. And I guess I feel like holistic is a little bit of a buzzword these days, but like our morality should be more holistic and more um, incorporated through every part of our lives than just, you know, okay, what are the rules? All right, don't do this one, do this one. Mm. So I think that may be kind of like what I was thinking in terms of this sort of like spirit versus letter is we should be trying to really live purely and righteously and we should be continuously improving. Yeah, definitely. I just finished listening to the audiobook of Bonhoeffer by Eric oh, Metaxas. Cool. Would you recommend it? I would, yes. No, I, I would recommend it's not, it. It's not too dense. It's such a thick book. It was long, and there were some slow parts, but in audio version, I really enjoyed it. Um, But one of his quotes I really liked that applies to what you were saying is, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. And yeah, I think you're dead on that. That has to be the focus more than thinking about the, the rules. Yeah. Maybe I already said it, but the way I would phrase that same sentiment is it's not as much about avoiding sin as it is pursuing righteousness. It's both, but yeah, definitely. No. 
<laughs> but but no, you're right. It is because pursuing righteousness inherently implies avoiding sin. But there's just more to it because you do it out of out of love and desire for God rather than out of duty and obligation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after you've identified some of these structural relationships, like we said before, you want to ask questions because, again, that's going to just help you continue to learn from this. And if you can do them based off the relationships, so there's the relationship about Jesus's commands versus how you've heard it said or the law that you've heard. And so like a good question is like, why does Jesus contrast his own commands with the commands of the law? Like, how does the passage build up to this this last verse as a point of climax? And then any any other questions you can think of. The more questions you can ask about the Bible, the more you're thinking about it. And that's a healthy thing. So you could ask, like, how does this climax illuminate verse 48? Um, And how does verse 48 illuminate the overall message of Jesus' teaching? When you identify that that's a climactic passage, then you start being able to ask, okay, so what does that mean for this section? Right. So when we get into interpreting like what actually does it mean to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, we're going to look at all this material beforehand and say like, how does all this show us what that command means? Because mm-hmm. it was um, building up before. to that statement. That's right. Because it was building up to that point. Mm-hmm. So then the only other steps in the segment survey is the key verses, which we talked about last time in the book survey. Which would be, obviously, this 48 that we're looking at, since we say that's a climax, we would say, yes, this is a key verse. Um, Maybe this verse 20 where he said, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the Pharisees, then you want into the kingdom of heaven. That's a key verse because that's what he uses to kind of like give all these examples about afterward. So looking at just what you think is the key verses is, is helpful. And then a new step that's different in segment survey compared to book survey is identifying the literary form. Which this would be like you would say teaching or like discourse, right? Or something like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, examples of different literary form would be prose narrative, poetry, parables, apocalyptic text, discursive text, dramatic text. Those are the ones listed in the book at least. So this one's pretty obvious that it's discourse, right? Yeah. It's a uh, teaching. Does that make sense, Daniel? Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, there's only one choice in this case, I guess. Right. You, but obviously, you can see how that's going to help with your interpretation. If you're identifying something as a parable, you're going to interpret it differently than like a discourse. Okay, so that's it. A quick recap here. Yes. After you've done your book survey and you want to do a segment, focus on a segment, you have to figure out what your segment's going to be. So like, mm-hmm. what's the context that belongs together? Mm-hmm. And right. so we were looking at the end of like the most of chapter five, but like the second half of chapter five, really, where it's all this content about the teachings of the law and what mm-hmm. how Jesus is teaching compares to the teaching of the law. Well, and I was also, I was going to say, we were specifically looking at verse 48 you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Yeah. And so we kind of zoomed out from that and found our segment. Yep. So then once you kind of figure out what your segment is going to be, you want to try to outline it, break it down into like, are there main sections and are there subsections so that I can understand what's going on in this segment? Um, And then you move into finding the structural relationships Along with that, you ask questions the whole way through. You're asking questions. You identify any key verses, 
which is number what four, I guess. I didn't find key verses or something. Um, then number five, you're gonna do the literary form, what literary form is here, and then are there any other major observations that I have? And that's the segment survey. Very good. Congratulations, you have now completed a book as a whole survey and a segment survey. What's next? Next, there's a step called detailed observation. So all of this is still in the observation category of inductive Bible study. So you're going to observe the text, then you're going to interpret the text, and then apply the text. And so right now we're still all doing observation. The more time you spend in observation, the less time you're going to have to spend in the other areas, and the more accurate they'll be. Um, so observation is really where you want to spend the majority of your time. So book, survey, segment survey, and then detailed observation are all in the observation phase. We're going to just like skim detailed observation next time we talk about IBS, mm -hmm. and then we'll move on into interpretation. Yeah, I think we'll mostly jump into an interpretation next time. That'll be really fun because we'll be interpreting specifically what does it mean to be perfect? So what does that verse 48 mean? And uh, that's really interesting. And that's where all this hard work we've done of gathering our evidence really comes out and, you know, finally coming to conclusions and answers. So that'll be really fun to do an interpretation. Yeah, you get a lot of payoff when you're do actually doing the interpretation. And it's really cool to me to see how you can take one verse or even half a verse and spend hours on it, you know, on working out what it means and on interpreting it. It's just amazing to me how deep the Bible goes and how you can just um, study it and God continues to reveal more and more as you do. And I think we also mentioned this last time, but just as a reminder, whenever you're doing Bible study, ask the Lord to be guiding you and speaking to you through it. Yeah. Sometimes people like remove Bible study from that devotional side mm -hmm. and think like Bible study is for like the intellect or whatever understanding, but that you worship the Lord with your mind. And if you ask him to be there with you, then he will often like he'll reveal himself as you're really studying the Bible. Yeah. So, all right, well, that's good stuff. Yeah, it's late here. We're, yeah. We gotta go to bed. Yeah, no kidding. So bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right.